Welcome back to Thinking About It. I'm Bob McGregor, and uh, I do not have in the studio today Dave Barker, our uh, regular featured theologian. I am with two young men who are eminently qualified to discuss the topic today because this is, after all, their world. I will soon be gone. Uh, but you guys are... <laughs> what a way to start. <laughs> you're still in it. Uh, Tim Muta, our youth pastor and uh, our new intern. Kevin Dean, uh, both guys, you're both in your 20s, right? I am. So we're t- today we're talking about the idea that I've heard about many times before in different words, postmodern, post-Christian era. How does that affect the way the church goes about its business? Like we have a... A work to do in our community. We can't ignore it. Uh, we are missional. Any missionary worth his salt has to learn the language and learn the culture and find ways to be effective with the good old gospel message without changing it. Well, um, this idea, and I've just read this from a, a conference that was offered on evangelism, and the point is that it's worse now, mm-hmm. right? I hear that a lot every year. It's, it's always getting worse. It's never getting better. But the idea is uh, that you cannot make any assumption that, whereas in the past, people had a yearning for what they didn't know. They were aware of the, the God-shaped vacuum that they were trying to fill with all kinds of things. Um, this person argues that nobody's looking for transcendent reality anymore, that the default narrative of our culture, of our age, and quite happily so, is rank secularism. That's the religion, that's the default um, into which everything else fits or onto which everything else fits. So they say, today theology must come to grips with a radical and pervasive secularity that makes speaking of God at all increasingly strange, even quaint, and must come to grips with the fact that the effects of secularism affect in profoundly corrupting ways even those who profess religious belief. The challenge of how we might speak God's word today is real, serious, and not for the weak of heart. So, I mean, how bad is it? Do do we really need to um, become anthropologists, examining our culture, because if we don't, we won't be effective with the gospel? Can a Billy Graham or or uh, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, someone from the past, can, can they get up in our culture and preach the word of God and expect fruit, even though they have no idea of the culture they're speaking to? What do you guys think about that? There's a lot there. Just jump in. Well, I think that uh, someone like Billy Graham would have to, to take different things for granted than he did. I think if you if you listen to Billy Graham, he, he will often, he usually talks about the cross. He loves to preach from John 3 especially, and he'll talk about the significance of the cross, but he, he takes it for granted that the people listening understand who Jesus w- was and what happened on the cross. If you uh, talk to someone from Ethnos or someone who is headed overseas into a tribal place that has never heard the Bible at all, they will start from Genesis. They will walk their hearers through the entire story of Scripture uh, and give them probably weeks of learning before they get to Jesus. I think that um, it's not as though the people of the day are unreachable, but we have to start at a different point. We can't take for granted mm-hmm. that they have a foundation of understanding what 
sin is or who God is or what righteousness or justice look like, um, we, we have to begin with an earlier foundation than we used to have to start with. Is that any different than um, a, a foundation that is secular? Most of the foundations that we deal with historically have a religious taint. Or, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a religious idea. Right there's this recognition that there's a spirit world. I got to get right with it, and you get a lot of weird religions out of that. Um, and in the first century, Paul spoke to a religious world, but this author would say Paul would have a real hard time in our day. Not never before has a culture emerged, apart from maybe communism, uh, that um, and communism was imposed. I don't think people in the communist era really were in their minds and hearts atheist. But this, this particular article says that we are, and that's a deal breaker. And, and Paul would have to adjust to that somehow. Yeah. I, I think it's definitely a different landscape and a different picture. You know, I even think, you know, back to the biblical picture of baptism and baptism wasn't a new thing uh, that Christians were doing. Um, you know, John the Baptist didn't have to teach uh, his followers what baptism mm-hmm. was. Baptism was practiced by other religions, and it was common, right? Um, you know, but you take a high school student today who's never walked in the doors of a church, they're, you know, so taken back by baptism, and they have so many questions about it. And I think that's what we've noticed in our students is the types of questions that they're asking are a lot more basic than we've gotten in the past. Like what? Um, oh, and these are, these are Christian kids. Yeah. Right? So, and you know, a lot of them wrestle with, with the beliefs, uh, you know, of the world, you know, um, even, you know, whether, whether it's comes to with, uh, when it comes to LGBTQ things, uh, when it comes to, um, just, yeah, a deity and, um, you know, a life after death, um, they're not all that. Well, why can't we just go to our, our age and say, look, you're here, right? Yeah. You you are here by the creative genius and the majesty of God. Okay, I'm, and I'm proclaiming that to you. There is a God who made you. And by the way, um, you're fallen. I mean, this is a narrative they've never heard before. They don't. Maybe they have, and they've rejected it. But, but you know what? How much? Like, isn't that the gospel? You, you, we are fallen. We're sinful. We're going to hell. I don't believe in hell. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm proclaiming the gospel. Jesus Christ, who made you die. You know, that basic understanding of the gospel, how much context does that need? And how, how can, can, can that work when you proclaim that message? How much more do you need to explain to yeah, people? Yeah, I think, I think the gospel will always work. Uh, I don't think that the Holy Spirit lacks power. And at the end of the day, um, I think that there's two things we have to wrestle with. One is this idea that we want to do our best to be proclaimers in a way that makes sense to people. We see that in in Paul using um, the altar of the unknown God, dealing with the foundational understanding that the people had and building his gospel presentation on top of that. We see that with someone like Hudson Taylor changing the way he dresses and looks and missiologists have, have built our understanding of missions on that. We, we want to do our, our job as well as we can, but there's another truth that 
It is the Holy Spirit who opens people's eyes. It's mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit who opens deaf ears. And he is not, he is not weakened. He's not surprised by uh, this movement. He's not um, taken aback when he sees how little people understand. And I think that the, at, at the end of the day, the gospel has power. Um, and it has, it has power to change lives. So if you proclaim it faithfully and truthfully, I think it will always um, change. But I think what we need to do is maybe re-examine our language, um, some of the uh, cliches that we use in presenting um, the gospel, the way we present uh, love and sin and sacrifice uh, we can't take for granted what we what we once took for granted. And I think a lot of people, intentionally or unintentionally, when they explain the gospel, they are repeating the way it was explained to them. And that person was repeating the way it is explained to them. And we are all just sort of indirectly and accidentally quoting men from the past, D.L. Moody and, and uh, Billy Graham and some of these guys. And we need to almost go back to square one and say, okay, what is the gospel at a core level and how do we put this into the language of the people? Mm-hmm. Cause that's ultimately, that's what through every century, that is what the church has had to wrestle with is how do we take this message and put it into a language that is understood by these people who are dead in trespasses and sin always have been. I think the gospel has always been an unlikely thing for uh, people who are enemies of Christ, but, Nevertheless, uh, we are encouraged, as Spurgeon was, by the doctrine of election, that there are those out there who, miracle of miracles, will respond to the gospel, even if it is um, imperfectly articulated. Uh, This idea that no one is seeking after God, I understand theologically that that's true, but the Holy Spirit does uh, stir and effectively call people to be seeking and so this particular guy says, no one is seeking. Well, that's true. No one is. But by the Spirit of God, there are people who will, by the Spirit's work, respond to the gospel. You have to remember, too, that there's always outliers in a society. When, when there's a, a social thought or movement of a particular kind that becomes pervasive, there's always, there's always an outlying group that is, that is different. You pick your decade. Pick your era. Name, you know, the, okay, the 60s were a time of great uh, scientific achievement. We're putting man on the moon. Science is at an all-time high in some ways, and yet you have the hippie movement, which is would, would uh, recognize themselves as outliers of society um, and yet is no small number of people. It's, it's going to be the same today. As much as secularism does dominate, there will always be a significant number of people who just don't fall into social norms. So I wouldn't be... I wouldn't paint everyone with a pessimistic brush. I think you will always have people who uh, value religion, even if they don't understand the gospel, who are curious in about um, theistic things. Mm-hmm. I think there are always some people who are, who are going to just wander into the church out of curiosity. They're, they're fewer and farther between than they were in previous decades. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't just paint the whole world with a pessimistic brush. Well, you guys are both uh, in the bubble, right? You've been born and raised. You, you're both. I was born and raised. Yes, you're a preacher's kid. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tim, almost as bad. Your dad was a uh, super involved layperson, homeschooled, and you know. So we might want to warn ourselves about just perpetuating all the cliches in, in the bubble. 
But in your view, and, and you guys are in touch with part of our generation more so than I. I mean, I, I read and I think I'm, I'm current on, on one level, uh, but youth is they're just something else. So how would you say the church needs to um, deal with this, with, with our young generation, uh, to proclaim the gospel fearlessly, but not to be stupid. Uh, what what are the what are the barriers that we've constructed that are in the way of proclaiming the gospel? How can we, um, like the men of Ishakar, know our times well enough to go about the work of the Lord? Are there some obvious things that you guys can think of? Yeah, I think I think you know, like we've been talking about, we need to know our culture well, and we need to know you know, especially our young people. Um, the lies that they're being told, uh, what they're hearing, what they're being influenced by, um, and also what our society um, has told us about the church, too, I think is big. Um, you know, like right now, even with uh, the truth and reconciliation journey of the Catholic Church um, and First Nations and all that and uh, the schools, um, it's put a a bad name on even the evangelical church. And we had ties in that too. I don't want to remove the evangelical church from that. Um, but I think even, you know, I'm a Christian, I go to church, even, even that as a starting point is, is way different now and has different social, um, understandings, um, of, um, you know, what used to be seen as, as probably, you know, churches were generally people who did, who were good and did good things. And that's not the case anymore. So if you start from there, um, you're you're already off on a bad mm-hmm. foot, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's understanding, um, you know, what culture is saying about Christians, what culture is saying about the church, um, but not taking, you know, the gospel out of, out of you know, I, I hear other people say, well, we need to, you know, be careful and um, just build relationships and come alongside these people and encourage them. And, and I'd say that's a part of it, but the gospel, you still have to be rooted in the gospel. Mm-hmm. You still have to be rooted in, in truth and love that Jesus offers. It's different from the world. Um, we have to be honest about uh, sin and, you know, what we need to do to um, deal with the problem of sin in our lives and mm-hmm. the effects that that has on our lives. But um, I, think, I think a big thing is, is knowing where and what they're influenced by um, and and being aware of that, acknowledging that. What happens? It's, all, it's fifteen minutes. You guys have run the clock out, so we're long-winded men. We are going to have to call it there. We hope that we've created some thoughtfulness and some encouragement that the gospel works. The Holy Spirit is at work. We don't have to find a, a golden key to unlock our culture. Uh, just be faithful, prayerful. Uh, love people, find ways to uh, communicate in language they understand the truth of the gospel, and I suspect that there will be the guarantee of fruit. So until next time, I am Bob McGregor here with... Kevin Dean. And Tim Muta. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for thinking about it with us. 